Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Under God. In this series, we're exploring what it means to be a citizen of heaven. We hope you find this podcast meaningful. We love to hear how God is touching people's lives. Just go to our website at www.valleybrook.cc, select Contact Us, and send us an email. So we're beginning a two-week series called Under God, and I thought it was appropriate because this is uh, these two weeks sort of surround the 4th of July. I'm not really sure which one is considered the 4th of July weekend. We've been trying to figure that out. Uh, I guess by next weekend, we'll know by what the attendance is this week compared to next week, and we'll determine then what it is. But look, to kick off your 4th of July weekend, we're having a barbecue after the service, so uh, we encourage you to stay for that because we're going to have some baptisms too. It's going to be exciting. So... You know, I was inspired by this series, by this message uh, that Craig Rochelle gave. So I give full credit to credit is due. You know, uh, Pastor Craig Rochelle uh, inspired me with something he said along these lines, and that was the trailer they used for a series. So I wanted you to see that. Um, obviously, there's something patriotic about this series. Uh, we're talking about what does it mean to be under God as followers of Jesus Christ. And, and so we're going to be looking over these two weeks at, at those last four phrases of the Pledge of Allegiance. And if you're like me and you grew up in the United States, um, you grew up probably saying the Pledge of Allegiance in grade school and probably every day. And uh, if you're like me, you memorized it uh, because you said it every day. And so, you know, I just say it. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. And it's those last four phrases I want us to look at because I think those phrases say something that we as followers of Jesus have to deal with. And so today we're going to look at one nation and we're going to look at under God and what that means for us. And that's so important for us as followers of Christ uh, to understand what this means. Now, you know, <clears throat> I think we do this um, if you're a citizen of the United States, I think we take for granted that the idea of this democracy that was started 242 years ago was designed to give people uh, rights and liberties that they weren't having in the other countries where they fled or immigrated from. And we, we take it for granted. So, you know, I think it's important for us to say, you know, um, if you were born in this nation, you know, you're grateful for the freedoms and the rights. You're, I know I am. And I'm grateful to the people to protect my liberty and my freedom and, and who give, uh, you know, even some of them who've given the ultimate sacrifice for it. And, and I confess that I take those liberties and rights for granted. For instance, right now, I, I'm practicing the, the right of freedom of speech. And, and I take that for granted because I haven't ever known what it's like to not have freedom of speech. And right now, we're, we're all uh, taking advantage of the freedom to gather and to worship God uh, as we see fit. And we take that for granted because I think most of us have never known what it was like to live oppressed and have that uh, prohibited. And, and so many other freedoms and rights that we, we recognize and that we may take for granted. So as we go through this, I want us to think about that. And, you know, here's the thing. I recognize that, that this uh, thing called the United States isn't perfect, but I realize that there's some, some great things about it. I don't want to take it for granted. And by the way, if you are a citizen of another nation, I'm glad you're here because ultimately what we're going to be talking about, not so much as what it means to be a citizen of the United States, 
Well, we're going to be talking about what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. And I think as followers of Jesus, regardless of what earthly country we have citizenship in, we have to say, what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? Because that supersedes all earthly citizenship. It's the greatest one. So the, the first thing that, that I, I want to say is this. When we talk about one nation, the question that I ask is, what is the ground of our unity? If we're going to be one nation, if we're going to be connected like that, what's the ground of our unity? And, and uh, you know, I'm going to sort of lean to the Christian side, obviously, because I'm a follower of Christ and we're at church today. And if you're not a follower of Christ, that's okay. I want you to hear this and, and, and really consider it for yourself. Because... Scripture tells Christians that you may be a citizen of an earthly kingdom. You know, in Paul's day, he was a citizen of Jerusalem. Uh, uh, for him, actually, he was also a Greek, uh, excuse me, a Roman citizen. He was a citizen of Rome. He was born in Rome. He had Roman citizenship, but he also had Rome, uh, citizenship in, in Israel. But he recognized that his citizenships on earth were temporary. That he was just passing through. And ultimately, he recognized that his earthly citizenship really meant that he was a stranger and a foreigner in a strange and foreign land, but he was going to go home someday. And that home was going to be with God. So let's talk about this. Um, let me say up front this. The ground of our unity is, for followers of Jesus Christ, is Jesus. It, it's the foundation. He's the cornerstone. You know, he is the, the foundation of everything we put our, our hope and our trust on. And so that is the ground of our unity for followers of Christ, regardless of whatever uh, country we are citizens in. So first thing I want you to know is this. We are, are not just citizens of America. We are citizens of heaven. And this is something that scripture testifies to over and over. In the book of Philippians, we read this. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, Paul's putting it right out there, and, and something that he echoes again in the book of Ephesians. He says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers. He's talking about your earthly life. But fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. And then he continues, built on the foundations of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, the foundation, the ground of our unity. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple to the Lord. And in him, we are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is the ground of our unity, Jesus Christ. He is the thing that knits us together. He is the one that builds us into a building because it's in him that we come together and we're connected. And it's by God's spirit that we live together in that dwelling. So the ground of our unity for Christians is Jesus Christ, regardless of what earthly nation we live in or are citizens of. Jesus Christ is that ground of our unity. Who he is, what he did, what he calls his followers to. So we, we realize that he is the highest allegiance and it's to the kingdom of God that we owe that citizenship. Here's the next thing that I want you to understand though. See, we're not just citizens of heaven, we're more. We are not just citizens, we are ambassadors. That's right. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, 
You're an ambassador. So let me give you the scripture that tells us that and then let's unpack that. In uh, 2 Corinthians, we read these words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone. In other words, you become a new person in Christ. Your old sinful self has been gone, is gone. So the new is here. Then it goes on. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We've come to know God as our friend. We've been reconciled once we were enemies. We're now friends. And we've been given us the ministry. He's given us the ministry of reconciliation. And then they remind us that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. In other words, forgiving us of our sins. And he, God, has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. So we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And that's the message that the ambassadors are supposed to share. You need to be reconciled to God. You need to know that God loves you and desires for you to be saved and spend eternity with him. Now, you may say, what is an ambassador? Very simply, an ambassador is the highest ranking diplomat diplomat, sent as a representative from one nation to another. The highest ranking diplomat sent from one nation to another. So when I say that, when the Bible says that you're ambassadors for Christ, you're the highest ranking diplomat of heaven sent to another nation, the nation in which you live in. And you're supposed to represent Jesus. We're from a heavenly nation, even though you didn't know that until you read that in scripture. If you're a Christ follower, you are an ambassador sent from heaven. I'm going to put a phrase on the screen because I think this is important. And the phrase says this, I am an ambassador sent by God from heaven to earth. So I want you to own this. Will you say it with me? I am an ambassador sent by God from heaven to earth. I ought to get it right. Let me try it again with you. Okay. I am an ambassador sent by God from heaven to earth. So Let me speak to you as ambassadors. This is what I want you to know about who you are. This is your identity. We talk a lot about who your identity is as a follower of Jesus Christ. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, you've said, I believe in him, I follow him. And scripture tells us that you're a son or a daughter, that God loves you. But it tells us some other things. And this is what I want you to know. The first thing you need to know is this. As an ambassador, you've been appointed by God. That's right. You've been appointed by God. Jesus said this to his disciples, and we read it in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, but he's speaking to us too, so let me read it to you. Jesus says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Look, he chose us. He chose us. And he chose us to bear fruit. He chose us to be about his kingdom work. He chose us to be his ambassadors, to take the message that we have received that changed our life and to take it from our heavenly home to our earthly home and to represent him as we share that message. So you're appointed by God. Here's the second thing you need to know. You're chosen by God. You're chosen 
the Apostle Peter wrote these words, and he says more uh, to us than that we're just chosen. So just drink it in because this is about you. This is about how uh, God sees you. This is how he identifies you. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You're chosen. You're royal. You're priests. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession. And you've got a message to share. The message is that I've been taken out of darkness into light or I once was blind and now I see. Because I've Understood that God sent Jesus into the world to bring me to God so that I would know that he loves me and cares for me and that I can spend eternity with him if I believe in Jesus and accept his forgiveness for my sins. You've been chosen by God. You've been chosen. So as ambassadors, you've been appointed by God, you've been chosen by God. And, and then here's the, the third thing, and this is, this is a given, but I'm going to say it anyway. You're representatives for Christ. You're representing him. Now, I've already shared what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, but let's look at what Peter said about this. Peter said, dear friends, you are foreigners and strangers on this earth because heaven is your home. That's why you're foreigners and strangers. So I beg you not to surrender to those desires that fight against you. Always let others see you behaving properly, even though they may still accuse you of doing wrong. Then on the day of judgment, they will honor God by telling the good things they saw you do. You're representing Jesus. When you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you became a representative for him. That's exciting, but here's, it's a little daunting because as a representative for Jesus Christ, you're representative 24-7, 365 days a year. You don't get a day off, okay? Never, ever. You're his representative. But here's the good news. When you fail, and you will because you're human, because we make mistakes and we sin, and you ask for forgiveness, he'll forgive you, and he'll give you another chance. It's important that we make mistakes as representatives of Christ. We also apologize to the people who saw us make mistakes because remember, we're representatives for Christ. It's okay for, uh, for them to see us fail. They just need to know that we know that we failed and we are not only embarrassed, but we need to be forgiven. So you're appointed, you're chosen, you're representing, representing Christ. I, I did a little research because I was curious. I wondered, what was the adult population of Christians in the United States? I mean, what could it be? So uh, I found a study done by the Pre Pew Research Center, and it's from 2014, so just a tad dated, but, but this is what they said. In 2014, there were 245 million adults in the United States of America. 245 million. Of that 245 million, 173 million identified themselves as Christian, okay? I'm not going to slice and dice that, okay? We're just going to say 173 million are Christian. If you're wondering what the percentage is, 71%. Now, 
I recognize that one of the reasons we sort of struggle with this idea of one nation under God is because, quite honestly, in my lifetime, I feel like we've struggled to be united as a nation. And lately, the anger and vitriol that seems to be pushing us apart and putting us into multiple camps is just really negative and, and just upsetting. But this is what I thought. What would happen? What would happen if the 71% of the adults in America who say that they're Christians realize that they're representing Jesus Christ 24-7, 365 days a year, and lived like that? It would change this country, and it would change the world. It would change this country, and it would change this world. And you know what it would start? It would start by changing your circle of influence because you would be the one changing yourself as a representative of Christ, and it would have a ripple effect on everybody. And then that would ripple out to the next ring of your influence and on and on and on and goes. And that's what ambassadors of Jesus Christ are called to do. They're called to come into a culture and represent Jesus. That culture may be um, welcoming, to followers of Jesus, it may be hostile to Jesus, but it doesn't matter because you're an ambassador called to represent Jesus Christ. So when I think about being one nation, I think about what would it be like if, if followers of Jesus Christ understood that their unity, the ground of their unity was Jesus Christ and they represent him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And they should be about representing Jesus and the kingdom of God's agenda as God himself sets it. And it would change the world. And that would make an impact, a huge impact. The next phrase that I want to look at is the phrase under God. And um, I did a little research because I wondered about the origin of the Pledge of Allegiance. It actually uh, was written in 1892 by a Baptist minister named Francis Bellamy. But here's something that I didn't know. When it was written, it didn't include the words under God. That didn't happen until 1954 when President Eisenhower asked Congress to approve those words to be inserted in the Pledge of Allegiance and it was during the height of communism in our world. And it's been there ever since. And I was born after 1954, so I grew up saying the Pledge of Allegiance that way. Maybe you did too. But what does it mean, one nation under God? Well, this is what I believe it means. It means that we're supposed to be under the influence of God. And so my question is this, what influence are you under? What influence are you under? Are you under the influence of God in everything that you do? Are you under the influence of our culture? That can be positive, but that can also be negative. That can be leaning toward God's influence or totally opposite of God's influence. But really, what influence are you under? And this is important for ambassadors to deal with, all right? Now, listen, I think when we hear the word under the influence of that phrase, we, we think uh, generally of, of alcohol because people say, well, you're under the influence of, uh, of alcohol. And think about this. If, if you've ever seen somebody that's uh, under the influence of alcohol or if you've been, if you've been drunk, if you understand that, I'm, look, I'm, not, I'm not promoting that, but if you've ever seen it, witnessed it or experienced it, people will say they're not themselves. 
They're saying things that they would not normally say. They're doing things that they're not, they normally wouldn't do. Why? Because they're under the influence of something that's altering them. I want to be under the influence of something that's going to make me do what God wants me to do. So I want to be under the influence of God. I don't want to be under the influence of my culture because I understand my culture oftentimes swings completely the opposite way from God. So I want to be under that influence, the influence of God. In the Bible, there's a great example of someone who said, I'm going to live my life under God's influence. If you're familiar with the book of Daniel, it's about what happened to a man named Daniel, but also uh, to the people of Israel. Uh, if you go back and you read that book, just to give you some context, uh, the, the nation of Israel was invaded by the nation of Babylon, and uh, they deported many of the citizens of Israel, uh, particularly the leaders, the, the scholars, some of the people that they thought could bring assets back into their country. Uh, deported is a nice way of saying they made them slaves. Uh, they bound them, took them in captivity. They took, they took laborers and they took leaders. So they, they took as many people as they could and, and they used them in various ways in the country of Babylon. Uh, one group of people that they took, uh, they wanted to uh, serve uh, the king of Babylon. And it so happened that Daniel was one of those chosen to serve the king. And so in the first chapter of the book of Daniel, this is what we read about what happened to those people. Then the king ordered Asphenes, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. Then the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Now, there's a lot going on here, and there's some things that, that uh, are, will show up in other parts of the book of Daniel, but I'll just fill you in on them. First of all, they're brought into the king's service, and they were taught a new language. So they could communicate with the Babylonians. They were taught the literature and the history of Babylon. So they were given a new education. Um, what we don't see there, but it's another place, they were given new names. So Daniel was uh, given a new name, a Babylonian name. He had an Israelite name. And what we see at the end was that they were going to be fed from the food that was given to the king from the king's table, uh, the food and the drink. Um, and big picture, uh, you, you know, it makes sense. If you, if you change what people think and you change what people believe, uh, you can change their allegiance. And that's what was going on here. If you change what people think and you change what you, they believe, then you can change their allegiance. And obviously the Babylonians wanted the Israelites to become uh, people who were uh, pledged their allegiance to the nation of Babylon and to the king of Babylon and not to the nation of Israel and the king of Israel. So that's what was going on. We call it brainwashing. And here's the deal with, with uh, Daniel. Daniel said, you know what? I don't care what you call me. You can call me Daniel. You know, you can call me whatever. That's not going to change who I am. He also said this, you know, you can teach me a new language. That's all right. It's just going to make me smarter. 
And he said, you can teach me the history of Babylon, Babylonia. It doesn't bother me. I, you know, I want to learn stuff. But when it came to the diet of Babylon, he, he drew a line. And here's why he drew a line. It wasn't because um, the food was necessarily bad. But, but you need to understand something that was very key to the faith of an Israelite. They had been taught from early on uh, that um, there was food that was clean and food that was unclean. And uh, on top of that, they had been taught that in the area where they lived, in what now is modern-day Israel and Judea, that um, not only were there clean foods and unclean foods that they could eat, but since they lived surrounded by pagan cultures, they were never to defile themselves by eating food that had been offered to pagan gods because it would show up in some of the markets that were not necessarily Israeli markets. And so for them that was important because it would have been offered in worship to a pagan god. And they didn't want to eat something that had been offered to a false god. And that was a core issue about who they were and who they believed in and who they wanted to live their life under the influence of. And they didn't want to live their life under the influence of a pagan god. So the food that would have been given to them from this king's table in Babylon would have been food that was offered to a pagan god, and they didn't want to be under the influence of a pagan god. So they said, call me what you want to call me. Teach me any language you want to teach me. Teach me any history you want to teach me. But I'm not going to be under the influence of a false god, of a false philosophy, of something that steers me away from the fact that there is only one God, the one true God. And that's where, they, where he drew the line. In fact, in uh, verse 8, this is what he says. This is what it says about Daniel. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. He said, I'm not going to be under the influence of another God, another way of life. So this is where I want to jump off. What are you under the influence of? Are you under the influence of God or are you the, under the influence of our culture? It's challenging not to be under the influence of our culture because everywhere you turn, it's forcing itself in on us. If you use any form of media, it's forcing itself in on you. If you turn on the radio, the news, open up your web browser, it's forcing itself in on you. So you have to decide ahead of time, what influence are you going to be under? Are you going to be under God or under something else? Think about that. I mean, there's so much in our culture that influences and we don't, we don't think about it. You know, it's, it, you know it, we take it for granted. You, you know, I'm going to sound like your mama, okay? Remember when your mama said, if you take garbage in, you're going to, give garbage out. All right. So if you binge watch sin or you participate in, in a culture that, that encourages sinful activities, you can expect that to come out. All right. So if we're going to be under the influence of God, we've got to take a stand. We, we've got to be like Daniel who resolved ahead of time before the food was put before him, he resolved 
that I'm going to do this and I'm not going to do this. And he actually went back and offered an alternative. All right. Think this one through. If you want to get healthy in any form or fashion, if, if you want to get, uh, you know, uh, in shape, you have to dis- resolve to exercise and you also have to resolve not to be a couch potato. Okay. Pretty simple, right? If you want the, uh, your body to get healthy, uh, you know, lower cholesterol, lower blood pressure, all of that, you have to resolve I'll eat these things because they're good for my health and I'm going to resolve not to eat these things because they're not good for my health. You have to decide what you're going to take in. So if you're going to be under the influence of God, you got to decide, I'll do this, I won't do that. So you need to do that. In fact, I'll put a, a phrase up here on the screen. You know, you need to do this. I resolve to live under God by. And I want to challenge you this week to Resolve what you're going to live under God by doing and not by doing. As an ambassador of Jesus Christ, what are you going to resolve to do and resolve not to do? I thought about this for myself. You know, what have I resolved to do? Um, When actually before I became a Christian, I I had people uh, telling me I needed the truth of God's word in my life. And so when I became a Christian, it was only natural because I had already been encouraged and taught and challenged to take God's word into my life. So I try to spend time every day reading God's word. Why? Because I want God's word to influence me and I want it to counteract the influence of culture. Now, I'm not perfect. I don't do it every day, but I want it to influence me and I need to take it in because you know what? That's not what's coming in across the media. That's not what's happening in this world. So if I want to be under the influence of God, I knew and I still know I have to take God's word in so it will influence me. You know, here's something else. Uh, You know, not long after I became a Christian, I decided that since God gave the church for his followers uh, to get together and worship him in and to build up one another and encourage them, there's something about this, that God is pro-church, that Jesus is pro-church. And and I realized that church is is not a place. It's when people gather together. And so I've committed in my life to be a part of the church, to participate in the church, to invest myself in the church. Now, some of you may push back a little bit on that and say something, one of two things. The first one may be this. You know what? I can worship God anywhere. You know what? You're right. You can. You can worship God on the golf course. You probably can't be the church on the golf course because golf balls are coming through all the time. All right. I mean, yeah, maybe you golf with other people who are followers of Jesus Christ. And maybe you want to spend a little time encouraging one another and worshiping God together. That's right. But really, you can't live out the church and what Jesus calls us to do as the body of Christ without actually being intentionally and committing to the body of Christ. You can worship God anywhere. That's part of what the church is supposed to do. So as followers of Jesus Christ, you really need to think that through. You need to be part of the church. The other part thing is this. Some of you may say, you know, Clark, I know I need to be part of the church, but I have experienced some hurt in church. I sometimes call that hurt church hurt. So let me say this. I'm sorry if a follower of Jesus Christ or if a leader of the church 
or anybody who is in any position in the church has ever hurt you. It shouldn't have happened, and it should never happen. And what I'm going to say is not an excuse, but it's a reality. The church is made up of people, and people are sinners, and sinners sin, and they make mistakes, and they hurt people. So I'm sorry if you've ever been hurt, but I know this. Whenever I commit myself to a relationship with somebody else, I commit myself to taking a risk, to be loved and to also be hurt. It happens in every relationship. You know, it happens in marriage. It happens in dating. It happens in parenting. It happens in being kids. It happens in friendship. But it's a risk worth taking. And it's a risk worth taking in the body of Christ. And let me say this. If God reveals to you that you've hurt somebody in the body of Christ, if you've created church hurt, then you need to go to that person and apologize and confess and ask for forgiveness and resolve with God not to repeat it. We have to own the fact that humans are messy, every single one of us. And I'll go one step further. Look, if, you, if you've had church hurt so severe that you're just not even sure you could ever do the church more than once or twice a year, connect with me, send me an email text. I have some great Christian counselors who can help you with that healing because Look, I have resolved to be a part of the church, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, because I'm an ambassador, and I need you in my life. And that's what being a part of the church is. Well, I could go on with things I've resolved. What are you going to resolve to do, to add to your life and to say no to? So ultimately, this is what I want to do right now. I want to spend a little bit of time in prayer and allow you to pray. I want you to pray about the fact that you're an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And as an ambassador, that you have a message to communicate God's message, you need to ask God, what do I need to resolve to do to be under your influence so I can communicate that message forever? So if you would, let's bow our heads and close our eyes. God, we thank you that you love us so much that you called us to you. And you appointed us. And you chose us. And you made us your representatives. So right now, Lord, we're just going to spend a few moments in silence and we're going to resolve to be under your influence and maybe even spell out what that means. So hear our prayers, Lord. Father, we resolve to do this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.